today, and um, I want to kind of, this is going to be interesting. Um, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? Um, <laughs> so I was praying about what should I preach in November and December, and I was praying, and I was praying, and I said, Lord, you know, what is it that you want me to say to the people of God? And so I had came up with this whole series about um, praise and worship. And I had talked to Maisha, who's our production director, and we were going to get different styles of worship guest artists to come through every Sunday to sing, to show you a different way, a different form of, of worship. And um, I was praying, and I was praying, and I was praying, and the Lord shut all my little plans down and said uh, you need to do a discipleship show and I said Lord you know wait a minute now we did this for those that you know you've been here a, a little while now at least this year you know in April we shut down everything and we went through discipleship teaching for about four months amen y'all remember them days wasn't no praise team, wasn't, you know, I got up, sung one song, and we opened the word of God, and went right into the word, and taught the word of God, and what I saw during that, that time period was a level of growth that happened in this church that cannot be explained. Um, how many of you can say, those that went through the discipleship process in that period can say, I know I grew in those months, that I got so much of the word that God began to grow me in so many different areas that I believe our church was the better for it not just collectively, but also individually, but not just individually, also collectively. That we grew to be a mightier, stronger in our faith church than ever before. And so when the Lord said that it was time to do a discipleship check, I said, all right, Lord, I, I, I'll obey. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. And so I want to um, teach today from a kind of a strange subject. Come on, let's go. Um, I want to talk about the enemies of discipleship. The enemies of discipleship. Um, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you have some enemies that are not on your job. <laughs> you have some energies, some, some enemies that are not in your family. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I, I think that we focus so much of our attention and our time on flesh and blood that the enemies that's really after you, you completely miss those. And I want to kind of lay out a foundational teaching on today so that you have a better understanding of what and who you are fighting. I'm going to talk about the enemies of discipleship. A few years ago, ladies and gentlemen, I was fortunate enough to travel to London, England where I got to see a few of the palaces that belonged to the royal monarchs. And I noticed that in front of every palace, uh, there were these statuesque, even uh, uh, mannequin-like guards that were standing in front of the building called the Queen's Guard. And their job was to guard the royal residence. Now, what I would notice is people would try to get in front of these, these guards and they would try to make them laugh or try to get them to break character. Y'all ever seen that before? They would, watch this, they would try to distract them long enough 
to laugh or grin or even move. They would, they would try to get them to give them a re, uh, or get a reaction out of them, but the guards would stand there and never break. In fact, if you find one that breaks, it's very rare because they know how to just stand there and look straight ahead and focus even in the midst of what's going on around them. Uh, uh, let me get to you, Bible. They were steadfast, unmovable. They, they, they would not budge in spite, hear this, of the distractions that were surrounding them. They understood that the queen had them there for a purpose. And they were not going to allow, hear this, outside voices or forces to distract them from the reason they had been positioned. Look at your neighbor and say, stay on your square, stay on your square. The problem with the saints, church folk, you and I, is that we have enemies that are pushing us off our square, and we're blaming everything else but that. And I want to talk about the three enemies whose job is to distract you from your discipleship. Their job is to keep you from being steadfast in kingdom placement and kingdom calling to be a kingdom disciple. And they're doing it through distraction. These enemies know that they can't remove you from your position. They can just distract you from fulfilling it. Which at its, at its core is to become, watch this, a disciple is to become a visible, verbal follower of Christ. That's what a disciple is. So, so I want to kind of lay, lay this out because I know we went over this months ago, but I need to kind of bring this back to you so you understand. Come on, let's go. It's on the screen. What is discipleship? Discipleship is that process of the local church designed to move Christians from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity so that they can replicate the process with something someone else. God is not satisfied that you are merely saved. In the same way that a parent is not satisfied that a child is born. Okay. You want to see that child grow to maturity. They're cute when they're babies. But if they say babies too long, you start to get concerned. Because you know at the end of any birth, there must be growth. And the question becomes, why are we, watch this, being born again but never growing up? Why have we been saved as long as we've been saved and ain't nothing changed? You still on the bottom? I knew it was going to get quiet. I know that you gave your life to Jesus Christ. I know you are saved, but have you matured? Are the same things still tripping you up? Are the same issues still bothering you? Yeah, okay, I, I guess I got to talk real. You had a nasty attitude when you got saved. You've been saved 10 years, and you still got a nasty attitude? What's wrong? What's wrong? First got saved, you sleep around with everybody. And you still saved 10 years later, still sleeping around with everybody. Only difference is you done brought it into church. 
Touch your neighbor and say, welcome to discipleship. God wants you to go from crawling to walking in your faith. God wants to see you drink the milk of the word, but start using your teeth to eat the meat of the word. And I I hate to say this. No, I don't. I think one of the hard problems in the church, that one of the hard problems in the church, the issue is, watch this, instead of us pushing you to walk, and instead of us pushing you to take solid food, we've learned now in the church how to just put a pacifier in your mouth. Because as long as you shut up, we all right. Look down your room and say, take a pacifier out your mouth. Take the <laughs> I need somebody in here that can just declare this just for a minute. I need you to lift your hand and say, I'm ready to grow. Yeah, I don't want to keep struggling with the same things that I've been struggling with for years and years and years. I'm ready to grow. I can't keep going down the same mountain over and over again. I'm ready to go into the promised land. And is there anybody in freedom this morning that say, I am ready to grow. I'm ready to go where God got for me. And I can't keep being in the same place that I've been all this time. Somebody holler back at me and say, I'm ready to grow. And that growth process is called discipleship. And the goal of discipleship, watch this, is transformation. Because you will know you are becoming a disciple, watch this, because of one thing, because you're changing. (laughs) You are becoming different in your attitudes and actions, character and conduct. When you are becoming a disciple, it means that you are changing. You ready for this? I know I'm changing when I stop praying that, God, you remove my coworker. I know that's when I'm changing, that I take the prayer, and I don't use the prayer against somebody else, but I take the prayer and say, create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. I need to take a pause for the cause and find out, is there anybody here that can give God five seconds of praise because you know that you really are changing, that who you used to be and who you are now is completely different, and that you give God the glory and give him the praise because, Maisha, we changing. I might not be there yet, but I'm so farther than where I used to be. I don't fall to pieces over the things that I used to fall to pieces over. I don't get intimidated by the same stuff I used to get intimidated by. Why? Because I am changing. But you got three enemies. Everybody say three enemies. That is coming to stunt your growth and shut down your transformation. Three enemies that are designed to distract you from your discipleship. And you need to understand what they are and how they work. Now, for those who are, maybe this is your first time here, uh, maybe this is your first time here, or you weren't here during the discipleship process. During, anytime we talk about discipleship, we take notes. All right? Uh, we take notes, we get in the word. I don't put the, the, uh, the scripture on the screen because um, I let you find it. Because you need to know your Bible. Praise God, all right? So usually when I'm preaching, you can see the scripture on the screen and all that. We don't do that during discipleship because discipleship, we got to get in this word. You got to study yourself, study thyself for your own self. You can't make sure, watch this, me giving you the word all the time don't mean you got it. You got to find it for yourself, all right? So we're going to get in this word. Are y'all ready? Are y'all ready? Here's number one. The first enemy you got is the world. (laughs) The world. That evil system. All right? Come on, get your Bible. Let's go. John, the 15th chapter, verse number 18 and 19. 
John the 15th chapter, verse number 18 and 19. Somebody say, I love the word. John 15, verse number 18. The first enemy you have is the world. Gospel according to John, the 15th chapter, verse number 18. how we started out back in April. I say the scripture, it took us three minutes to find it. Praise God. John 15, verse number 18. If you haven't, say amen. amen. Look what it says. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Is that, is, did, did Philip say that? I think, who, who said that? Jesus said that. Watch this. He says, one of the marks that you know you're a disciple, watch this, is the world don't like you. <laughs> Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, um, he got a, a number of different reactions. You can love him and follow him, or you can hate him and reject him. But here's one thing I've discovered. You could not ignore him. When he showed up, it required a response. Let me explain your presence at your next family gathering. When you show up, it requires a response. <laughs> I don't think some of y'all got that. Because, see, some of y'all, you don't quite fit in with them people that got the same last name as you. You don't quite fit in with them people that's got the same blood as you. You know, you get around them and you start talking on a level that they don't understand. And that is intentional because when you show up, it elicits a response. Some of y'all keep asking yourself, I don't know why people don't like me. Honey, you're a disciple. They ain't supposed to like you. Uh, you're not here to get the liked award. You're here to get the discipleship award. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what you're after. I've discovered, can I, can I just be real? I've discovered I'm just a little different. And I like the difference. I don't try to fit in with everybody. Everybody ain't my flavor. And I'm not everybody's flavor. And I'm cool with that. I'm okay with that. Watch this. Uh, uh, when he showed up, it required a response. But you could not ignore Jesus. And Jesus wants you to know that if you become a disciple, there is going to be, hear this, resistance and rejection. That when you show up, there's going to be resistance and rejection. Why is, it, why is there resistance and rejection? Because it's trying to shake you out of your commitment to Jesus Christ. And that resistance or rejection is going to come from what, the wor what, what Jesus calls the world. Let's sure say the world. Now that, that, that word, the world, uh, uh, is, is, uh, in, in Greek, it's pronounced, you ready for this? Cosmos. Okay, stay with us. It's where we get the word, this is going to bless you real good, cosmetics. <laughs> and the word, the world, cosmos, means some arrangement of some kind. It means to organize something around a common theme. So when you put on cosmetics, you're trying to organize something around a certain theme. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? 
it, it means that, watch this, uh, uh, it means that you got to make sure that, that the colors match up and that everything comes in order because you're trying to arrange stuff around a common theme. What's the common theme? Your face. And everything ain't for everybody. Uh-huh. You know that cosmetics mean I got to arrange my face in a certain way. You know, you got to beat your face. Y'all ain't, okay. Some of y'all look at me like, let dead bones come alive in Jesus' name. You, you, got to, you got to make sure that you arrange this face just right. So that, so that watch this, it's around a common theme. I need a sister to look at another sister and say, girl, you look good. You look good. You look good. You arranged that right. You did that right. When Jesus talks about the world in spiritual terms, he's talking about, watch this, a system or an arrangement. If I were to say the world of politics, you would, un you would understand. I'm not nearly t merely talking about the location of the White House or the Congress, but I'm talking about a realm that deals in political matters. Are y'all with me? If I say the world of finance, I will be including Wall Street and the Fed and talking about different banks. I'm talking about the economic system that governs the financial operations of our society. So when the Bible talks about the world or being worldly, it's talking about a system, watch this, that's headed by Satan that has one goal, and that is to get you to leave God out. When we talk about the world, what it's talking about is a system that is designed to get you to leave God out of it. Worldliness is the attempt for you to join a system that gets you to leave God out of the equation of your life. So, if you want to make decisions, draw conclusions, make moves, and, and have patterns of thinking that eventually get you to leave God out. In other words, I, I'm going to date who I want to date, but I'm not going to pray about it because I don't want to hear God's opinion about it, so I'm going to leave God out. That's world. Y'all not hear me. I'm going to buy what I can't afford, and I'm not going to pray or ask God anything about it or see what his word says because I want to make sure I got to leave God out. That's worldliness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want to be Watch this, distracted from God. Um, worldliness is designed to pull you out of the will of God. And I need to know, uh, is there anybody in here that can say, I've, I've gotten old enough to realize I can't make no decisions without God. <laughs> Not you, but your neighbor has come to the conclusion that if I realize when I made decisions without the help of God and without the leading of God, I made a complete mess of my life. Can I talk to anybody in here that say, Pastor, I have gotten old enough in my faith to learn that I need God to lead me and guide me in every decision that I make for my life. Because when I don't ask him his opinion, I make a mess. Okay, um, I need to break this up real quick. Um, um, some of y'all know when you leave God out, you married the wrong person. When, when, you, when you leave God out, you, 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 uh-huh, yeah. When you leave God out, you end up at the wrong job. Because the world system said they was paying more money, so you ran after that. But God was trying to tell you, stay right there, and I'll give you peace that surpasses all understanding. 
God, I wish I had somebody right there. And some of you, you don't realize it, but you are going after what the world says instead of what God says. And is there anybody here that say, I don't care if you have a million dollars in the bank, you can't pay me enough to have peace in my house. You can't pay me enough to have peace in my mind. I got to have peace, so I got to follow what God wants for me. Touch your neighbor real quick and tell him I got to have peace. I got to have peace. Because more money don't mean more peace. I, I got to put it like Biggie, more money, more problems. Is there anybody in here that realized I can't do anything without the leading of God in my life? I can't make a decision without God. I need him in my affairs. I need him in my business. I need him in my relationships. I need him in my money. I need him in my thinking. I need him in my family. I need him in my church. I need him in my church. I need him every single day of my life. I need him. Because in him I live, I move, and have my being. And Jesus is showing us, watch this. Now, some of y'all ain't going to like this because I'm getting ready to take this turn, but it's all right. Jesus is showing us that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. The sad reality is that God has a lot of Christian enemies. Because they befriend a system that does not like him. They befriend a system that does not want him. So when we join that system, we are outside of where God is working. And what it produces, y'all ready for this, is distance between us and God. Because friendship with the world, with the system that doesn't want God, means you don't want the God that it doesn't want. Because how is it that you can want what the world wants and say you want God at the same time? The world don't want God. You know, how can two walk together unless they agree? Because once you want the God that it doesn't want, then the system won't like you. That's why Jesus said, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Because they will reject you because they don't want to include me. And since they don't want to include me, they ain't going to like you. Okay, let me put it like this. When, when you take a fish and you put them on land, you are putting them in a place where they're not comfortable. Because fish are made for water. When you try to put them in air, they will struggle to make it. Watch this. And they start flipping and flipping because it is operating in a realm that it was not created for. Here's my fear for the body of Christ. Here's my fear for people that are Christians. You know what we see now? A lot of Christians that's flopping and flipping around. Because you're trying to make it in a system that wasn't created for you in the first place. And the tension of some of our lives is that we're struggling trying to make it in an environment we were not created for. The world system is not made, the world system is made up of values. And it constantly seeks to pressure us to see its value system as our own. So whatever the, the world thinks is valuable, it pressures us to make sure that we think it's valuable as well. Yes. It, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the boys that went into the store and took some tags off the clothes, and they took the, the tags off the cheap clothes and put it on the expensive clothes, and took the tags off the expensive clothes and put it on the cheap clothes. So you think that the expensive clothes are now cheap, and the cheap clothes are now expensive because the tags have been reversed? Isn't that amazing? I mean, what if Louis was $15? Wow. 
Some of y'all say, sign me up right now. Where they at? Watch this. But that's what the world system does to us. It switches the tags and tries to pressure us to seek its value system. You don't think I'm talking about you. Let me break this down. That's the reason why many of us are in debt. Because we are pressured by a world system to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. Because the world teaches you, you got to have a new car every two years. So you are pressured to get the bag. And you, you secure in the bag. And while you secure in the bag, trying to kill yourself to get a brand new car. A car that's about the same note as your rent. And we don't see nothing wrong with that. Because that's the world system. And the world system say you got to have it. So you drive above your pay grade. You live in neighborhoods that's above your pay, pay grade. Trying to impress people you don't even know. People, watch this, that ain't going to help you to pay none of them bills. But you bad. Yeah. You look good. You broke, but you look good. Because the world pressures you into, hear this, its value system instead of God's value system. When Christians buy into that system, we wind up being disconnected from God. In fact, when you become worldly, you end up being mad with God. I'm going to go into a place right now that some of y'all really need to hear your pastor this morning. And I'm saying this in love because I need you to hear this. Because some of you are walking around mad with God. Watch this. Not because he ain't faithful. Not because he ain't taking care of you. Not because he's not keeping you. But because your value system is now mixed up with the world value system. And now you're accusing God that he's not doing right by you. So now you think God is not for you because you ain't got what so-and-so got, but you in church. And how is it that I'm in church and they not, but yet they got it going on. And now you charge God with wrong. And what you don't realize is God is giving you something that supersedes anything that anybody else got. But you can't see that. All you see is I ain't got this and your laundry list. And now watch this, your Santa Claus list. And now you're looking at God mad and saying, well, you didn't give me this. And I ain't here. And now I'm in a depression. And now I'm six months going through. The devil is a liar. I'm not going to base my price, my wealth, my value of what God has done based upon what somebody else got. This is where we got it messed up. Some of us, we are in depression right now because we are comparing ourselves to somebody else's value system. Watch this. Watch this. And the truth is, watch this, you become distant with God because you think God charged you wrong. I need somebody here that can realize just like the hymn that said, I find no fault in him. That everything he's done with my life is right. I said that everything that he's done in my life has been right. I said that everything he's done in my life has been right. I need some of y'all to say that out your mouth. I need you to say everything he has done in my life has been right. You need to tell every demon, every devil, every, every, every thought that tries to come into your mind to make you depressed and make you feel like God has left you out. The devil is a lie. My Bible says all things have worked together for my good. And even if I didn't like it, it was still for my good. Some of y'all couldn't even get with that right now. Some of y'all sitting there, mm-mm. Mm-mm, I ain't getting with that because I don't feel like everything he's done with my life has been good. It might not have felt good, but it was still for your good. Yeah. 
Watch this. This takes maturity. I ain't going to get everybody here. I need somebody here that can give God five seconds of praise for every tear you had to cry that was for your good. Okay. 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 Every sleepless night was for your good. Every heartache was for your good. Every time you were broken, it was for your good. Give your neighbor a high five. Say, it was for my good. It may not have felt good, but it was still for my good. Every broke moment, it was for my good. Every friend that betrayed me, it was for my good. Every person that broke my heart, it was for my good. Every sleepless night, it was for my good. God says, when you operate on my value system, the world will not like you. The world will think your priorities are screwed up. They will think your priorities are screwed up. You could be in the bed right now. It's Sunday morning. I mean, you should have a day for you. Look at somebody say, this is for me. Listen, because if I don't get this on Sunday, I'm cussing by Tuesday. I wish I had somebody right there. If I don't come to church on Sunday, I'll lose my mind by Thursday. This is for me. I wish I had some real people around here. I got to go to church. No, I can't wait to get here. Oh, God. The world would think your priorities are screwed up. They would think that why you are, why aren't you like everybody else? Watch this. The world will make you think, why are you not woke? Why are you not woke? The reason you are marching out of step is because you're listening to a different drumbeat. I don't march to the tune of everybody else. I don't operate on the value system of the society. Worldliness, watch this, worldliness is designed to pull you from your commitment to Christ. Because if God becomes the centerpiece of your life, the world will hate you because it wants to leave God out. Come on, let's go to Galatians, the first chapter. Galatians, the first chapter. Come on, let's get into this word. Is this helping anybody? Galatians, the first chapter, verse number three. Let's go over to Galatians 1, verse number three. New Testament, in the back. Praise God. Hallelujah. Galatians, first chapter, verse number three. And, ke and keep your Bible open right through here. Galatians 1, verse number three, because we're going to turn to another scripture in Galatians. Galatians 1, verse number three. Amen. Galatians 1, verse number three. If you haven't, say amen. amen. You don't have it, say wait on me. Okay, I'll wait on you. That was a lot. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Galatians 1, verse number 3. Amen. All right. Amen. Praise God. Galatians 1, verse number 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Watch this. To rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Go over to Galatians, the sixth chapter. Galatians 6, verse number 14. Galatians 6, verse number 14. Amen. Galatians 6, verse number 14. I was raised old school, so back in the day, we didn't have phones. Amen. All you heard was paper, pages just tussling. Galatians, the sixth chapter, verse number 14. Galatians 6, verse number 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I 
to the world. That I, I've been crucified to this world. That I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. That's the tension of our life. How do we be in the world and not of the world at the same time? I'm not going to sugarcoat this. That's hard. The struggle is to be in the world, but not of the world. That, that's the tension of our life. Because, watch this, if I hang around cussers long enough, if I hang around certain people long enough, I start to be like them. I, I, I you know, and, and they know my resume. They know I go to church on Sunday, I post about it. But they don't care about no post. Because the world will challenge you to see if what you got is real. The world wants to see um, is that, are you really serious about it? Or is that just put on? So watch this. Um, so I need to see um, if I hang around you long enough, can I start changing you to be like me instead of me trying to be like you? Okay. That's the tension of our life. It's like being in the boat that's on the ocean. You don't mind being in a boat that's on the ocean. You just don't want the ocean in the boat. God doesn't expect you to bury your head in the sand and disconnect from the world and just sit at home and read your Bible. God wants you to affect change in the world so that the world has to adjust to your faith, not you adjusting to everybody else. Okay, let me, let me break this down. Um, so if I'm at work, I'm still a follower of Jesus Christ. In my business dealings, I'm still a disciple of the Lord Jesus. When I'm out at the restaurant, I ain't going off on the waitress because they got it wrong. I'm still an ambassador to the Lord Jesus Christ because I've discovered some of the nastiest people in the restaurant are the saints. That's not what I asked for. And they come to church, praise God. No, keep it, keep it. <laughs> I mean, shout it all over the church. Almost knock somebody down and go right to the restaurant and you rude to the waitress. Oh, excuse me. Oh, I got it. You're not rude. You just don't leave no tip. Did you feel that conviction just fall right in this house? I'm meddling. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. In other words, I don't disconnect my God when I have to deal with the world. I bring my Jesus with me. Can I tell you one of the most convicting moments of my life? One of the most convicting moments of my life was when I knew God was working in my life and I was in the club. Now, I know your neighbor ain't going to tell the truth right through here. But is there anybody like me that's been in that moment where you in the club and you trying to have a good time and the Holy Ghost still messing with you? Every song that they play starts to sound like a church song. 
Am I, am, I, am I the only one that know what I'm talking about? That you try and enjoy yourself. But something just keep tugging at you and pulling at you because when you got the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of you, you can't be in anything and feel comfortable. And the question becomes, are you a thermostat or a thermometer? Do you set the temperature or do you come down to whatever the temperature is? Because you know what I'm scared? Can I, can I be real with you? This is this funny, funny thing to me. I love it when I run into the saints in the street, especially if they ain't seen me. Because I want to see them that next Sunday and say, I didn't know you knew how to cuss like that. Y'all don't like this right through here. You want to look at them and say, well, who is that? Y'all ain't never had a who is that moment. I feel tension right over here. <laughs> Erica, I be looking at her like, well, you ain't never brought that one to church with you. <laughs> Somebody say the world. the world. Watch this. God does not want the world in you. He, he don't mind you being in the world. He just don't want the world in you. He does not want the world standard or value system controlling your decision making. He doesn't want... Uh, what television tells you that you must have that you must have in, in order to determine if you're going to buy it. He don't want you to look at TV and all of a sudden you start switching your life to be what you see. He doesn't want what your friends value system determining what and how you will live your life. He, he wants you to be able to set the tone, to set the pace wherever you go. There's nothing greater than a Christian that sets the tone and sets the pace Watch this, and everybody else has to adjust. I'm not saying you got to be rude. I'm not saying you got to be so, you know, disrespectful to people. That's not what I'm saying, because I'm not, I'm not ascribing to that Christianity either. I'm not ascribing to the Christianity that wants to put people in hell and, and find brimstone and say all this other foolishness that's not biblical. I, I want us to be, everybody say this word, balanced. balanced. Yeah, we got to learn how to be balanced. We got to learn that, yes, I am saved. I believe in Jesus Christ, and I have to set the pace and the tone wherever I go. I don't change just because I get around certain people. I don't become a chameleon. All of a sudden, my colors change because I'm around this different kind of color. The devil is a lie. I want you to be who God created you to be. It's just like one day when I came home to confront my mother. I remember this. I was a child. I came home one day to confront my mother after having a very mature conversation in the fifth grade. I had a very mature conversation with my friends. Um, about how harsh my mother's rules were. And my friends told me to tell my mother that their parents were not as strict as my mama was. That my bedtime should be later because their bedtime was later. That I should be able to spend the night at whoever house I want to spend the night at. Um, and that my mother should not just tell me no, because I come from the from the school uh, old school that you just didn't stay at everybody's house. Sorry, don't know their parents. No, I don't know what's going over there. Going on over there. I, I, I should that I, I should I should be able to watch this. I should tell my mother um, um, that I should receive an allowance because they receive an allowance. So I came home and I said, Mama, I got something to talk to you about. I said, I've been talking 
And my friends say that they get to spend the night where they want to. Their bedtime is at 10 p.m. Um, and, you know, they get to do X, Y, and Z. My mother looked at me and, and said, do me a favor. Tell Timmy, Tommy, whoever they are, <laughs> that they don't live in this house. And I don't care. That's the PG version. <laughs> what Timmy and Tommy do and what their parents do over at their house. But while you're in my house, you will follow my rules. Now, you can go live with Timmy and Tommy if you want to. And you can follow their rules. My mother knew, watch this, that my friends were trying to give me values that disagreed with the values she was trying to train me by. My mother knew that just because they lived their life a certain way and they did things a certain way doesn't mean that you are going to do the same way. Because where you're headed, Timmy and Tommy ain't headed. God, I wish I had somebody. And can I come to tell somebody the reason why God has to shut you down and tell you no and tell you, nah, you ain't finna do that is because where you're headed, everybody else ain't headed. But you need to trust that what I'm training you in is right and is good for your life and you ain't got to be like everybody else. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, Christians don't like that. We want to wiggle out of that because we want to do what we want, when we want, how we want. And then we use this. This is where we get theological. This is where the little theology that we do have, this is where we get theological. This is where we get theological. Well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and the grace will cover me. The grace will cover me. The grace will cover me. Can I tell you something? Grace might cover you, but what ain't covering you is time. And you are delaying where God is trying to take you based upon your disobedience to God. Mm -hmm. Don't touch your neighbor. Touch yourself and say, obey. obey. Worldliness is to take God out of the equation and distract us from God. Here's number two, the flesh. Your first enemy is the world. Your second enemy is the flesh. Your first enemy is outside of you. The second enemy is in you. The flesh, evil desires. All of us struggle with the flesh because we live in it. And as long as you are breathing in and out, you will have to battle with this thing called the flesh. The flesh, what is the flesh? The flesh are those desires that are, that are opposing to what God desires. Anything that opposes to what God desires is the flesh. Mm-hmm. Watch this. Everything might not necessarily be a sin, but it doesn't mean that God is pleased with it. Okay? Because sometimes I think we, we look for a list to check off, and God is saying, mm, sometimes it's your flesh that is in contradiction with my spirit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what we want and when what God wants are in conflict with each other. Flesh will always desire that which is outside of the will of God. So let me teach this just for a minute. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm not going to get the point through today. Uh, watch this. When you were born, you were born, write this down, with an old sin nature. You had an old sin nature. I have an old sin nature. We, got, we were all born with an old sin nature. The old sin nature was inside your soul, and your soul is inside your body. Your, the old sin nature might be, I'll, I'll equate it to this. It's like a, a car factory. The only thing a car factory produces is what? A car. Are y'all with me? Class, are you with me? Okay. 
The only thing a car factory produces are what? Cars. Cars. Okay, all right. Just like the, your old sin nature, the only thing it produces is sin. It's a sin-producing factory. That's all it does is produce sin. And it produces it so regularly on the assembly line of your life. That's why, you don't believe me, let me prove it to you. That's why you don't have to teach a child how to lie. <laughs> Jenny just went out right there. <laughs> she said, show you right, Jesus. Where you get this line from? You ever ask your child, where you get this line from? You have to teach a child the lie. Did you do it? No. <laughs> cookie crumbs all around their mouth. Did you eat the cookie? No. Why were they able to do that? Watch this. They already had a lie factory built in. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. They already had a selfish factory built in. It's a factory that's working at birth. From the time you're born, you are born into sin and shaping in iniquity. Preach the word, Philip. It, it, it's producing sin. But the moment, the, the more the factory is allowed to work, the more sin it will produce. Yeah. And then comes one day when you accept Jesus into your heart. You gave Jesus your heart and gave pastor your hand. You accept Jesus Christ into your life. You accept him as Lord and Savior. Ho, by Sunday. You gave him your heart. You might even spoke in tongues. You fell out one good time. And you're still confused. Here's why you're confused. Because you were told, watch this, that because you gave Jesus your heart, you wouldn't sin no more. So let's, let's work this out real quick. Go to Romans, the sixth chapter. Romans 6. Somebody say, I love the word. I love the word. Romans 6, verse number 1. Let's teach this just for a minute. I'm going to leave it alone. Romans 6, verse number 1. Romans 6, chapter, verse number 1. Um, Romans 6, verse number 1 through 4. Y'all ready? I need to wait on anybody? Praise God. Come on, y'all got it this time. Romans 6, verse number 1. What shall we say then? They were probably too scared to say they needed to wait. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Look at verse number four. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Yeah. Romans 6 says that the old man that both of us had before Jesus Christ, when we accepted Jesus Christ into our life, Romans 6 says that old man's sin factory is now closed. That's what we just read. It's buried with Christ, with Christ. It's gone. It, it's dead. Factory is closed. Brother Pastor, if the factory closed, 
why I'm still sinning. Why, why I'm still, why I'm still, why I'm still sinning. Watch this. The factory is closed. It can't produce any more cars. But the cars it's already produced is already on the highway. the expressway. We just passed by. <laughs> Factory closed, but the car's already produced, already on the runway. Selfishness, already on the highway. Lust, already on the highway. Mm-hmm. Some of y'all saying, it ain't no small car either. This is a 16-wheeler. <laughs> So the sin that was already being produced is already in your soul, operating in your mortal body. And to be controlled by the flesh, write this down, is called carnality. To be controlled by the flesh is called carnality. What are we talking about? The enemies to your discipleship. I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. It's called carnality. Run over to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 1 through 3. When you are controlled by your flesh, it's called carnality. When you say, watch this, I can't help myself, that's carnality. 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 1. Is this helping anybody? I hope y'all riding with me today. 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 1 through 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you know Jesus, but you're still behaving in a human fleshly way. You love God, but you still behave it in a human and fleshly way. Do you know it is possible that you can give your life to Jesus Christ and still act like you don't know him? This is, this, this is the misnomer in church because Christianity, the, the world has led you to believe that because you give your life to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden that's supposed to make you perfect. And is there anybody say, some of my greatest struggles happened after I came to Jesus? Wasn't before. See, before I struggled and I ain't, and it wasn't no struggle. If I cuss you out, I just cuss you out. <laughs> Lay my head down and I slept real good. But when that Holy Spirit took over, now I'm going back apologizing for something I didn't even say. Now I'm apologizing for how I even said what I said. For, for the tone that it came across. Because when you got the Holy Spirit and you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, it will make you, it will keep you up at night until you have to go get it right. You will, I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit takes control of your life, it'll make, it'll push you, it'll drive you. You got, you'll lose your appetite. You can't sleep at night. All of a sudden, something on the inside of you say, you better go make this good. Can, can I just, can you do me a favor? Can you just take about three seconds and thank God that the Holy Spirit convicts you? makes you better watch this now go back to Romans the 7th chapter 
Paul said, I, I would address you as spiritual people, but you're still an infant. You're still acting, you're still acting carnal. You're still acting fleshly. Go back to Romans, the seventh chapter, verse number 18. Romans 7, verse number 18. Um, Romans 7, verse number 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I want to do what's right. I promise you, I really want to do what's right. I want to love my enemies. But shadiness just pops up on the inside of me. God, I wish I had somebody right there. I, I want to I treat everybody right, but unforgiveness still grips me every now and again, and they don't want me to release them for what they did to me. I, I want to do what's right. So Paul says, I've come to the conclusion, there is no goodness found in my flesh. There's nothing good about my flesh. I know that's hard for the church because the world has made you believe that you are so wonderful and you are so great and ain't nothing wrong with you, and now you can get a self-help and you can listen to a podcast and it tell you how wonderful you are for an hour and 15 minutes and when you're done listening to the podcast you feel wonderful but I came to let you know that the Bible says that there's no goodness found in your flesh you need to be able to look at your flesh and say flesh you got to die you got to crucify because I can't please God if I'm walking in my flesh watch this watch this I am scared that the people of God are taking more podcasts, are taking more inspiration, are taking more information from the word of God that even boosts up your flesh even greater than what it already is. Because they'll tell you, you're an overcomer, you're going to run the world, you got all this wonderful greatness on the inside of you, you will be great, you will be wonderful, you can take charge Take charge of your day, you are going to be, mara- you're just going to be wonderful. You, look at you, go to work with your bad self, you're going to take on the day, you shall be the manager. In fact, you're going to own the whole company, you're going to do all these great stuff. How are you going to own the whole company and you don't even have to manage your finances now? but that's the, what the word tells you. See, the word tells you that. But all that other stuff makes you to be so wonderful and so great. And it pushes you to a place of rebellion and it pushes you to a place of disobedience. And God is saying, you got to get back in the book because the book will let you know ain't no goodness in your flesh. If I don't have the Holy Spirit, I'll hate everybody. If I don't have the Holy Spirit, I will do all kind of nasty, crazy stuff. I thank God that all that stuff died and now I got to live by the Spirit of God. Romans 7, verse number 20, same, same, uh, same chapter, just drop down to verse number 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that dwells in, within me. Paul is saying, I have a problem, and my problem is me. Because in my flesh, I do things I don't want to do. I, I, I think things that, I, that I, I, I shouldn't be thinking. I do things that even shock me when I do it. You ever did something that shocked yourself? You're like, who was that? Paul is saying saying that sin is operating in me, and I don't know how to get rid of it because it shows up even when I don't want it to show up. That's why the Bible says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this, this thing that I'm living with? Now, here's the mistake that most Christians make when it comes to the flesh. Here's the, here's the mistake that most Christians make. We try to come up with flesh management programs. I'm being very transparent right through here. 
sometimes I preach and I have to tiptoe across the word because if I land too closely, it, it's going to burn my feet as well. Um, when you get saved and you've been saved for a while, you learn how to come up with flesh management programs for yourself. A program that you designed to control your flesh. Mm -hmm. The problem with flesh management programming is that it doesn't change you, it just manages sin better. Do me a favor, because your neighbor needs to really hear this. Touch your neighbor and say, you need to listen right through here. <laughs> yeah. Flesh management programs don't change you. It just manages sin better. It's like a trash compactor. I can put trash in it, and when I press the button, it pushes it down. Watch this. To organize it better, creating room for more. So now I, have, now I know how to sin without getting caught. Maisha, now I know how to go out of town and do it. Now I know how to do it without the saints seeing me. Now I know how to create aliases. Flesh management program. Now I know how to date them for six months and nobody know it. I, got, I know how to manage my flesh now a whole lot better. Some of y'all, I don't like the tone you're looking at me in. <laughs> so anybody could just be honest, just, just for a minute, and say, Pastor, I think I done created some flesh management programs for my life. Mm -hmm. I don't get toasted at the bar, I get toasted at home now. like the tone that y'all looking at me in. Somebody say flesh management programs. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know how not to post certain things. I don't need to check in everywhere because you don't need to know all my whereabouts. Somebody say flesh management programs. Yeah. Now I don't sleep around. I just got a good porn addiction. Mm -hmm. I, I need y'all to hear me because y'all are laughing at it, but I need you to catch yourself because you have mastered how to put in flesh management programs in your life. You ready? Here's a flesh management program. You don't know how to get along with people, so all you do is insulate your people with yes people. So now all you got around you is people that's going to agree with you at all times. But anytime somebody that don't like your opinion come up against you, you rise up and this other person comes up. Why? Because the flesh management program couldn't handle the unfactored. Flesh management programs. Okay. I think it's Wednesday. Um. Flesh management program. I'm cussing now. It's just in my head. <laughs> and I need something that can overcome my flesh. Yes. Romans 8, verse number 2. 
Romans 8, verse number 2. Romans 8, verse number 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I told this story on Wednesday night. I'm going to tell it again. I remember my grandfather. He would love, he loved, he loved. He'd go home and be with the Lord. He loved ribs. My grandfather loved ribs. Um, in Miami we had this place um, on, on 22nd Avenue um, just below 95th Street called St. City. St. City was a church but out front of St. City they had a barbecue stand and the line used to be so long back in the day that it was always all the way down the street and all the mothers in the church would cook the ribs and they had this little window that was about this big and you ordered through and uh, y'all know how the hood works. You know how the hood works. Because I don't know if you're going to rob me. So um, that's all you're going to get. And, and the mother would come to the window, baby, what you want? <laughs> and my grandfather, he would say to me sometimes, Philip, take this money here and go get me some ribs from St. City. I remember my grandfather, he didn't like just any kind of ribs. He liked what we used to call short ears. It had, you know, the bones weren't so big. Just had a little gristle on the inside. It was more meat, but it was more expensive. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. These young folks, just, you know. And um, so I would give him a short, short end rib sandwich, and it had to have light bread. And um, light bread. And had to have enough barbecue sauce that the barbecue sauce would soak at the bottom so you could take the bread and sop it up. <laughs> Some of y'all know. Y'all remember my grandfather? And so... Um, <laughs> And he would say, go get me a, a short end rib sandwich. Make sure they put the barbecue sauce on it. And then he would say something that just bewildered me. And he would say, and get me a Diet Coke. <laughs> he would eat a whole slab of ribs and want a Diet Coke. And I questioned it. I said, you know, granddaddy, what, what a Diet Coke going to do? Guess what he said? The Diet Coke makes me feel better about eating a whole slab of ribs. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me just eat, uh, let me drink that Diet Coke, because Diet Coke, you know, at least it's better than, than, than the regular Coke. So I just eat the, drink the Diet Coke, and it, it, it substitutes, it supplements, it makes it better than I'm eating a whole slab of ribs. And then it dawned on me while I was thinking about this, that that's what we do. We live sinful all week long and then want to come to church to have diet church. Woo. Pastor, don't give me all this discipleship stuff. Give me this, uh, a diet sermon so I can feel better about me living fleshly all week long. Don't ask me to change. Just give me diet church because diet church makes me feel better. The only problem with diet church, diet church don't change you. And this is why people are leaving church, because the expectation was, let me live how I want to live, come to church, give me a little message, and then I go out there and leave, leave, live any better. But diet church don't change nobody. It's 
until what the church is preaching and teaching about connects with your spirit and then you want to walk it out in your everyday life that it starts changing your life honey it ain't the church that's the problem it's the individual that's the problem because we want to do what we want how we want but is there anybody in here that can lift your hands and say God not my will not my way but I got to serve you the way that you want me to serve you no more diet church I got to make sure watch this and the problem is that flesh can't fix flesh So the Diet Coke can't fix the rib. Because flesh can't fix flesh. In fact, the world and the enemy wants you to try to fix your flesh with your flesh because he knows that all the flesh can do is become more fleshly. And flesh that is not dealt with then becomes addicted. That's where we get addiction from. It's that it's when flesh can't get enough of itself. We just can't have one potato chip. Now whatever your potato chip is. It's not enough. It's not enough. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 and 2 that you have to have another law working in you that lifts you out of this. I want you to see this and I'm done. That's why God wants you to know that you can live in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That when you operate from a heavenly realm, so you won't be ruled by an earthly desire. You have to operate from a heavenly realm so you won't be ruled by an earthly desire. Hear that. So that you won't operate... You need to operate from a heavenly realm so you won't be ruled by earthly desire. Because when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you operate in a different realm, which is what the Bible says in Romans 8 and 2, the law of the spirit. You are no longer operating in the law of the flesh. Now you operate in the law of the spirit. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Like this. There's a thing called gravity. What, what does gravity say? What goes up? Say it with me. What goes up? Okay. There's, but there's another law called the law of aerodynamics. That if you move something at a certain speed, at a certain thrust, you, you don't cancel the law of gravity, you override it. That's how you get in a plane. Gravity says what goes up must come down. But the law of aerodynamics says if you have enough speed and thrust, you can override the, the, the law of gravity. Watch this. Uh, the flesh is trying to hold you down. And you will never get rid of the flesh, but you have to learn to rise in the spirit so that you can override the flesh. This is why we ask you to fast. This is why we ask you to lift your hands. This is why we ask you to pray. This is why we ask you to get in your word. Because you need something that can get in your spirit that will override your flesh. That when you want to do what you want to do, something on the inside of you takes over and says, I can't do it like that no more. I got to get in the spirit and override what my flesh wants to do. How you go to work and you don't pray before you walk in there? How you deal with the stuff you deal with and you don't get nowhere in the spirit? This is why your flesh can take over. Because you don't have nothing to override the law of the flesh. But you got to have the law of the spirit that overrides the law of your flesh. I'm going to end here because I got another point. But I want to stop right there. Because I think that some of us need to realize that there's something in our life that God is trying to do, but he can't take us to it, and he can't get us in it, because we don't have that law of the spirit working in our life. We want somebody to give us something. So now you got a church where people come to church, and somebody lay hands on you, you fall out, and you think you got it. You ain't got it. You don't got it. You know why? Because there's nothing that was fleshy. Flesh can't rescue flesh. There has to be something in the spirit.
that makes you rise above your flesh. That's why the Bible says you got to work out your own soul salvation. There's a, there's a level in God that you have to push through. I want to say this. You got six weeks le left in this year. What would happen if you died in the spirit? What would happen if you built your spirit to the flame? Watch this. January, you came to Bible study. November, can't find you. Because now flesh has taken over. What if you got your spirit built? What could God do in the last six weeks of this year? You wait until 2020. What if you believe that God could do something right here in 2019? You got to make sure that you let the flesh die because you done overrode it with the spirit. Who is this message for? Every last person up in here. That God wants to get you to a place that you override your flesh with the spirit. I want you to lift your hands. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to just ask the Lord, fill me up with your presence, with your power, with your anointing. Fill me up. I need to overflow. I need to get so strong in my spirit that my flesh can't get the best of me any longer. I need to get so strong in my spirit that what the flesh is trying to keep me down in, I can't stay in any longer. Whatever mindset, whatever disposition, whatever attitude, whatever action I'm doing, fill me up, God, in my spirit. Let the law of the spirit override the law of my flesh. I want you to ask the Lord to fill me up. I want you to take a moment. Ask the Lord. Give me a hunger and a desire for your word again. Give me a hunger and desire for a prayer time again. Give me a hunger and a desire for consecration all over again. That I'm not just going to wait until the pastor calls for a fast for me to fast. But the hell I'm going through and the way my flesh is trying to get the best of me. God, fill me up with your presence. Fill me up with your power that my flesh can get the best of me. There's some decisions that I got to make by 2020. I need your spirit. I need your presence. There's some things I need to leave behind before I step into a new year. I need your spirit. I need your presence. Fill us up all over again, God. Here we go. Fill us up, God, until our attitude has to leave. Fill us up until that negative thinking has to go. I want you to open your mouth and tell God, fill me up all over again. Fill me up all over again. Some of y'all need to say it. Open up your mouth. Come on, open your mouth. Open your mouth. I can't keep living the way that I'm living. I can't keep living the way that I'm living. I want to please you, God, with my life. I want to please you, God, with my life. I want to please you, God, with my life. I want to please you, God, with my life. I want you to be pleased with my life. I want you to be pleased with every decision that I make. I want you to be pleased with every step that I make. I want you to be pleased with my life. I want you to be pleased with how I treat people. I want you to be pleased with how I love people. I want you to be pleased with how I forgive people. I want to be pleasing to you, God. I thank you. I bless you for your word. God, thank you for your word that declares we got enemies that's after us. 
God, break the bondage of the world off of us and crucify our flesh all over again, God, so that we can please you in all that we do. And we love you, God, and we bless you. Take just a few moments and worship God right where you are. Come on, just worship him right where you are. Come on, just worship him right where you are. Come on. Come on, just worship him. And I will open. Yes, God. We want him to fill us up, God. Fill us up, God. You provide. Come on, lift your voice. And I'll provide. Hallelujah. And I will open up inside. Fill me up. Come on. somebody in here that needs filling. I need you to hit this altar. Come on. I need you to hit this altar. You can't make it the way that you've been making it. I need you to hit this altar. You provide. Hallelujah. Up inside. Let the whole house say that. Fill me up. Somebody lift your hands and say, Fill me. Yes, God. Fill me up. You provide. up inside. I will open up inside. Yes, God. Yes. Yes, God. Do me a favor. Stop singing. I need everybody just to worship. I need to hear the voice. I need to hear the sound. I need to hear a sound. Come on, closed mouths don't get filled. Open your mouth. Closed mouths don't get filled. Open your mouth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let the desperate cry. Let the weak cry. Hallelujah. Come on. Open up your mouth. This is what you came for. This is what you came for. For the filling, for the filling. Let them fill you up all over again. Let them give you what you need for the journey. Let them give you what you need for the journey. Hallelujah. We glorify you. We glorify you. We glorify you. 
Hallelujah. We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. We glorify you. Come on. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Let them feel you. Come on. Let them feel you. Come on. Let them feel you. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Let them give you the strength you need. Let them give you the anointing you need. Let them give you the endurance you need. Hallelujah. You're weak. You're tired. You're burdened. But by the time you leave this place on today, God will fill you up with exactly what you need. You will make it. You will make it. You will make it. Open up your mouth. Come on, he's pouring. Come on, he's pouring. Come on, he's pouring. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, God. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Fill me up. Till I overflow. I want to run over. I want to run over. Fill me up. Till I overflow. I want to run over. I want to run over. Come on, somebody cry out, fill me up till I overflow. I want to run over. Yes, God. Yes, God. Lift your hands and tell the Lord, fill me up till I overflow. I want to run over. Come on. Come on. I need y'all to bring that out. Come on, fill me up till I overflow. I want to run over. I want to run over. Everybody say it. Yes, God. I want to run over. Hallelujah. Come on, say, fill me up. Hallelujah. I want to run over. You will not give up. You will not give up. You will not give up till I overflow. You will not give up. Glory. Glory. Come on, fill me up. Till I overflow. Fresh anointing, fresh anointing, fresh anointing, 
fresh anointing from the crown of your head to the sole of your feet. A new strength, a new strength, a new strength. Hey!